0: Hello, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest DeVinny. I'm the lead pastor at Asbury. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope this episode, like all the others, will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and it might be a little bit entertaining. Here we go. <clears throat> now, last week we talked about 1 Corinthians. and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more before we move on to um, 2 Corinthians, which is the next letter in our reading list. I also preached on 1 Corinthians this Sunday, but if you were there, you know that that sermon was, um, it was not an overview of the book. It really, I really kind of focused in on chapters 12 and 13. And then actually I kind of took those and um, instead of, this is going to sound bad, instead of like talking about what Paul was really meaning to say to the Corinthians in that letter, (laughs) I took it and kind of Ran with the theme and explored some other things that we can we can interpret and apply to our Christian life based on what Paul is saying, um, and I and uh, it, it was a wild Sunday because the power went out in the middle of the service, so I preached in the dark, um, which was just a whole different experience, but it was a lot of fun. Those of you who were uh, who who stuck around during the eleven o'clock service in the middle of that crazy thunderstorm and enjoyed our weird. Candlelight impromptu service. Uh, thank you. <laughs> it was again. It was a crazy Sunday. Let's talk briefly, and I think actually this whole episode is going to be relatively brief. Um, but let's talk briefly. Just one more thing about First Corinthians. Um, one of the major major themes of that letter, and, and I mean of all of Paul's letters, but especially First Corinthians, is this is this idea of unity within the church. Now, he's got, obviously, some concerns about um, divisions along socioeconomic lines within the Corinthian church, but there are still some, uh, you know, Jew versus Gentile division. Then there are also um, some divisions based on, some of the Corinthians have, like, uh, a certain loyalty to different apostles, right? So they're, there's one group that says, no, no, we're, we're Paul's disciples. And then another group says that we're, we're disciples of Apollos, who was another uh, evangelist who was traveling around. And, and kind of the, the sense we get from Paul's letters is that he, he's, he almost kind of like followed in Paul's footsteps and helped build on what Paul already did. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem as though there, there was actually like antagonism between Apollos and Paul. Um, it, seems, it seems that they two kind of respected each other and understood the necessity of each other's work and that the, the sort of division was happening amongst the church people, not the apostles themselves. Apollos, by the way, might be the one who wrote Hebrews, but no one really knows. Um, but anyway, so there, there's, there's those kinds of divisions. And one good way to use Corinthians in the modern church is to understand church unity. This is a big deal in the gospel. And specifically, I want to say that there's a. you can read it and you can understand pretty clearly from Corinthians um, what differences make a difference and what differences don't make a difference. In other words, what are the sorts of things that we just need to get over and learn to accept about each other and move on and figure out a way to tolerate? And what are the things that really... We, we have to actually split over. We can't accept this. This is not proper Christian teaching, not proper Christian living. Corinthians spells that out really clearly. Other letters do too, but it's very explicit in Corinthians. Uh, and I mean, sexual immorality is a big one um, that Paul says, no, 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 this is this is not one of those things that we're just going to learn to live and let live. This matters. And, and there's others too. Um, and, and all of that to say, because of what's happening in the Methodist world right now, what might be happening soon in the Anglican world uh, over the next few months, depending on how things shake out there, people will talk a lot about what, what you know, the, the need for unity and all this division and how it's a problem. But there are things... There are, there are differences that make a difference. Um, there are lines we have to draw. Uh, even John Wesley said, you know, in, in essentials, let us think alike. In, in non-essentials, let us love alike. I'm butchering that quote horribly because I don't have it in front of me and it's been a while since I've actually looked at it, but, but he clearly drew the line between saying, look, there are essentials on which we have to agree and on everything else, you know, let's just bless each other and get on, on about our way because... He knew in his day, of course, that there were many different flavors of Christianity out there. And he said, look, as long as we can agree on the essentials, we're okay. Um, And the problem is a whole lot of people in the modern world seem to be thinking that we can just reject the essentials. Uh, And it doesn't work like that. We have essentials we have to agree on. And that's painful. That whole idea of, of church division is painful, but... But even as early as Paul's day, he's saying, no, 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 look, there are some things that really matter because they mark us out as the people of God and they are clear instructions from God on how to live. And some of that is sexual morality. Some of that is our treatment of the poor uh, and our willingness to associate with people who um, society says we shouldn't associate with. Some of it is how we spend our money. Some of it is um, just how we carry ourselves in public. I mean, you, there's a long list of things that Paul says, no, 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 these are essential. And you can read through First Corinthians and you can get a sense of um, where Paul is drawing the boundary lines. What he's, what he's doing is, you know, uh, for most of his life, of course, he's been a, a, a faithful Jew. And there are clear markers of Judaism, like circumcision, like the f- food laws, eating kosher. Uh, and the sacrificial system at the temple. And Paul is saying, look, none of these things are the markers of God's people anymore. And in 1 Corinthians, he explains what the new markers of God's people are. So this matters. So you can read through 1 Corinthians and you can um, you can get that pretty clearly. Um, and, and now we come to 2 Corinthians. Now, there were at least three letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. We don't have the third one. The third one probably takes place sometime between... 1st and 2nd Corinthians, so I mean, you could say 2nd Corinthians really should be 3rd Corinthians, because it's the third letter Paul wrote. There's been some, um... There's clearly been some difficulty and pain between uh, that that is straining Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. He references what he calls his letter of tears that he sent to them. Um... But there's also just this sense that Paul, in his ministry, in his life, is suffering greatly. Let me read to you just from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's the interesting thing. We don't know exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, it could be... uh, the the story from the Book of Acts where there's this sort of citywide riot. Um and that could be what he's referencing, but it seems unlikely. Um because yeah, you know, so we, we don't really know for sure what he's referencing here. All we know is that this is probably something that happens in the city of Ephesus. Which is in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, and all we know is that there is something that has really shaken Paul to his core. I mean, really put the fe- well, as to say, put the fear of God into him. Uh, and I guess that's true. Um, I mean, he he thought he was going to die. The anxiety and the stress he experienced are massive. Um, some scholars will think that he actually suffered some sort of a nervous breakdown as a result of this. By the way, one of the, you'll hear biblical scholars talk about how they think so many of the letters in the New Testament, they call them Deuteropauline or or pseudo-Paul, they think someone else wrote them, and actually I don't think that's true. And there are other scholars who will say, no, 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 it's not that someone else wrote them, it's that these happened after this event in Asia, and, and, Paul just sounds like a different person because he's had this kind of nervous breakdown experience, this life or death experience. And he's shaken and, and he does actually have a bit of a different perspective and a, and a bit of a different way of talking, um, which is totally understandable. So whatever he's referencing in Asia has, has really been a, um, a major turning point for him. And, and that brings you to this theme of the letter, which is suffering. Everyone's favorite theme, suffering. He is really intent. He's really intent on focusing on the meaning of suffering. And that's why he doesn't go into detail, right? That's why he doesn't explain what happened to him or, or what he's feeling as a result. And this seems weird to us, because that's of course the first thing we would do as we would talk about what happened to us and we would talk about How it affected us and what we're feeling and and the, the emotions that are coming alongside from it and how it's changing our behavior. But Paul wants to focus on what his suffering meant. And for him, this all ties into the work of Jesus. And that's really interesting because... Again, we don't we don't know what happened, but it sounds as though he's got this kind of nervous breakdown or mental breakdown. There's a mental health issue at play here. In fact, we don't even know if what he's describing is a literal physical danger. It really does sound from what he's talking about as though Just the stress and anxiety of the work he was doing became too much. Now, we know at one point he was imprisoned and ill-treated in Ephesus. But it seems like, excuse me, there's more going on. It seems like there's, there's a voice deep inside him that tells him he might as well just give up. Might as well just be done. He's not good enough. And that causes him this sort of nervous breakdown. But what comes out of it, what comes out of it is a deeper understanding of the meaning of the resurrection. That he now has a deeper reliance on the God who raises the dead. He was stripped of all other resources, of all other sources of hope, and had to remind himself to learn to put his trust in the God who raises the dead. I think he had, up to that point, a conscious understanding of of God's help and of God's grace. but I don't know if he really understood deep in his heart. The truth of the God who raises the dead. The God who helps us. This is probably going to come out even more in my sermon on Sunday. But but there is this sense that Paul in his suffering has learned deeper truths about who God is and what God does that his suffering is vital to his growth in faith. This is something that we in the modern church do not spend enough time talking about because we don't like to talk about suffering. We We don't like to suggest that actually to be a Christian might involve quite a bit of suffering. We really struggle with that. Even those of us who vehemently reject the whole idea of the prosperity gospel which is still more popular than we would really like it to be we we have somehow been like infected with this idea that that yeah actually following Jesus means your life is going to be better than it was before but that's really not what happens in the new testament i mean Paul's life is not materially better than it was before he became a Christian. Now, what is better is his hope for the future. That's where things get better. But in his present life, he's beaten, he's stoned, he's imprisoned, he's beaten to within an inch of his life a couple times. He doesn't. You know, he lives in what would probably be abject poverty to most of us. I mean, he's. He is a tent maker, he makes some money, but he's you know, not going to make a ton of it. And he's eventually killed. He's executed for his beliefs. And he's not alone, and he's not unique in that. His life is not materially better as a result of being a Christian. And and we, we just have gotten it into our heads. And I, I think it's a combination of that prosperity gospel, but I also think it's a combination of kind of like the the American dream invading Christian thought. Uh, but we've gotten into our heads that being a Christian means good things will happen to you, means your life will be easier, you won't suffer as much, um, you'll be wiser and calmer and more happy and joyful, but but the reality is being a Christian means you've got to learn to find joy in the midst of suffering, and you do that by figuring out what God is teaching you through the suffering. And and ultimately, what it means is that you're deriving your joy not from your present circumstances, but for your hope in the future. Because your present circumstances are not guaranteed. Now, this isn't like a doom and gloom message. And I can tell you in my life, it's just, just been the case that God has taken good care of us. You know, we, we, we've always we've always been led down paths that were good for us. Now, they weren't like amazingly prosperous, but he's taking care of us, and, and we have a good life, and we're happy. But we've not been free of suffering. Um, we're, we're not, you know, free, our lives are not free of difficulty. And we don't expect them to be. We don't expect God to smooth out the path before us. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he'll open doors for us that, we, that are so incredible we could never have imagined that we would get to do the things we're doing. But that doesn't mean that life is easy. That doesn't mean that, that um, Jesus just makes everything better immediately. We, we really have to learn that our hope is, is based on what God is going to do our hope is based on the resurrection, that God has raised the dead and he promises to raise us also. That the final consummation of God's kingdom is yet to come. And so we may suffer in this life. We may suffer profoundly in this life. Some of you may have nervous breakdowns just as bad as Paul. Some of you may have already had that experience. Some of you may have have battled through broken marriages and divorces and broken family situations and, and um, you know, you may have you may have battled through unemployment and, or or financial distress or or life-threatening health problems you may still be battling through all of that and you may be wondering why the god you pray to every day doesn't seem to be fixing your problems better question. The better question is, how is God going to grow me through this? What is God showing me about himself in this moment? Am I fully reliant on God? Do I have faith in God, even though he doesn't seem to be answering my prayers? This is a really common thing all throughout the Bible, by the way. Better question is, do I have hope in the resurrection? Am I eagerly waiting for the day when Jesus will come back and make all things new? The better question is, am I, there's lots of better questions, as you can tell, right? There am, am I truly relying on God? Am I relying on God or? Do I still cling to this idea that I can do some of this myself? That I can fix my problems myself? That I can help myself? In our suffering, we share in Christ's suffering. Jesus suffered. Paul will go on to say that that the physical marks of his suffering have replaced the physical marks of the circumcision as the sign of the people of God. That we suffer with Christ and this marks us out as his people. You cannot read Paul's letters and ignore the constant presence and the constant theme of suffering as a core part of being the people of God. And that can mean personal suffering. It can mean suffering through identifying with other people who are suffering. Refusing to turn a blind eye to pain and suffering in the world around us. All of that. Because suffering is an inescapable part of the broken world we live in. And our hope is in the Messiah who can raise the dead and who will one day raise all of us from the dead. And who will make the world new again. So as we prepare to read, to finish reading 1 Corinthians and to dive into 2 Corinthians, let's not overlook the power and the place of suffering in the work of Paul. That's it for today, folks. We'll be back next week with another podcast on Paul's letters. Until then, God bless.